It's all about me. You know, we do live in a a very self-absorbed world where life, if we allow it, revolves around me. And I, I think if we're honest this morning, we would all admit that there are times in our lives that we battle with being self-absorbed people and making life revolve around us. And uh, we're going to continue this week to talk about that some. Before I dive into that real deeply, I want to uh, just say thank you to so many of you who came and volunteered yesterday at our, our third annual Family Fest. Uh, we actually kept track of the number of people who came in the gate yesterday, and over 630 people were our guests at uh, Hector Cafferat Elementary yesterday. We were thrilled with that uh, uh, with the weather and everything, with that number of people, and uh, over somewhere between 75 and 100 adults from here, uh, or people, volunteered. So great turnout, great day, and I want to thank you for um, investing in people and doing exactly what the opposite of what our culture often says, and that was uh, thinking less of ourselves and more about others by investing in people and saying to our community, we really do care about you. And I'll let you uh, finish watching the pictures because you really have heard nothing that I said, so... All right. Well, last week we did uh, sort of kick off this series, and really what we're focusing on is how to live a fulfilling, successful, extraordinary kind of life in this very self-absorbed world that we live in. And we started off last week looking at Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, uh, God says to us that I want you to be transformed. I want to transform you, or we said the same word could mean renovate. And uh, God wants to renovate our lives. And we said last week there's some things we know about doing renovation. Uh, It's always messy, it it can be very costly, and it always takes a long time. But we also know something else to be true about doing renovation, and that is the outcome can be spectacular. And we said last week God wants to do some transforming or renovating in our lives, and the outcome can be spectacular. We also talked last week about... uh, the fact that if this transformation is going to take place in our lives, it starts with changing our core beliefs. Because remember we said core beliefs are the things that drive our decision-making process, and our decision-making process leads to certain outcomes or results. And in life, our tendency is when we don't like the outcome or the results of our lives currently, we think if I'll just go back and retool the decision-making process, that'll fix everything. The truth is, as we discovered last week, we've got to go one step back further than that. And we've actually got to change those core beliefs, the way that we think. And when we change those things, that affects our decision-making, which in turn leads to the outcomes or the consequences in life that we're really looking for. Do you remember Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 2, verse 2. He said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. There's that word, or be renovated, how? By the renewing of your mind. Not by changing how you make choices, not by changing your decisions or by changing the consequences. Paul says, by the renewing of your mind, or the changing the way that you think, altering your core beliefs. Last week, we looked at the first core belief that needs to be changed if we are going to have this transformation take place. And we said that first core belief was simply to realize and recognize God knows better than I do. And I think we would all agree this morning, God is way smarter than any of us. But what would happen if we would dare to live like we really believed God knows better than I do? 
Today we're going to look at a second core value that also is vital if this transformation, this renovation is going to take place in our lives. And like that first core value, this one also flies in the face of a self-absorbed world that says life is all about me. And the second one is simply this. God is up to something in the world and I have been invited to play a part. God is up to something in this world that we live in and I have been invited to play a part. Let's look at, and Paul says it this way, that Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 continues this way. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now let me just uh, ask you a question before I dive into that. H- how many of you uh, took me up on my advice last week and you've been reading Romans chapter 12 every day this week? Anybody doing that? Great, a few of you. I hope the rest of you will join us and that you will read Romans chapter 12 every day during this series for the next couple of weeks and just see what God begins to teach you in your life as you really dive into this passage of Scripture. Well, Paul talks about knowing God's will. In fact, the New Living Translation says it this way. It says, then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. You will know what God wants you to do. You will know God's will. Maybe you've heard people talk about knowing God's will for your life. And maybe when you hear people talk about that, you think, boy, that sounds really spiritual. I'm not sure I really understand what that's all about, knowing God's will for my life. You know what? Really, it's just a really churchy way to say knowing God's purpose or God's mission for my life. And God has a purpose or a mission for every one of our lives. The question is, God is up to something in the world, and he has a mission for us. The question is, will I accept his mission? Will I pursue it with my life? I'm going to tell you the story about Johnny. Johnny is a young man who uh, bagged groceries at a grocery store. And that's actually a picture of him. And uh, Johnny's entire store uh, had to go to a one-day seminar one time. It was done by Barbara Glantz. And Barbara was just kind of one of those uh, motivational, success-oriented things. And she was talking on this particular day about how to have your customers really feel valued and cared for. And she was challenging them to try to think of things that they could do to really you know, just say to the customers, we care about you, uh, we genuinely care about you. Well, Johnny is 19 years old and he has Down syndrome. So he went home from that one-day conference thinking, what am I going to do to say to customers, we care about you? He thought long and hard about it, and he came up with an idea, and here's what he began to do. Every day when he finished his job bagging groceries, he would go home from the store. He would go in his room, and he would, he would think to himself, and sometimes he would look in books, and sometimes his dad would help him. He would come up with some kind of really short, inspirational saying. And he would sit down and type out the words of that inspirational saying on a sheet of paper and he'd put it on there six times. Then he'd run 50 copies of that and he'd cut them all apart and he would personally sign his name on all 300 of those slips of paper with that inspirational saying. He would proudly carry that stack of papers back to work the next day and as he would bag people's groceries on the top of the last bag, he would place that inspirational saying and then he would look at the person and say, look them in the eye and say, I put a really great saying in your bag I hope it helps you have a good day. Well, about a month had passed when Johnny was doing this, and one day the manager came out of his office in the grocery store and noticed that the line at Johnny's checkout line was three times longer than any other in the store. 
It, it backed all the way up into the frozen food section. The manager got on the loudspeaker and said, we have other checkout lines open that are much, you know, much quicker. Feel free to use one of those other lines. Nobody moved. He, he personally went to some of the people on the line and said, we have all these other lines that are open. Why don't you move to one of those? And they, many of them said, no, we're staying right here. We want to be in Johnny's line. We don't care how long it takes. One lady said to him, you know, I used to just come into the store occasionally when I really needed something, but she said, every time I drive by now, I try to stop every day because I want to get Johnny's saying for the day. Johnny wasn't just bagging groceries. He was dispensing hope. And what he did in that grocery store began to transform people's lives. If it can happen in a grocery store, it can happen anywhere. Johnny discovered and accepted his mission in life. He found a way to serve other people. And you know what? You can be a Johnny too. What Johnny did wasn't slick or complicated or calculated. He just found a way to serve others. And God wants you in your life to simply find ways to serve others and to be a Johnny. I think it's part of our mission for life. In fact, I think that's what Paul expresses when we move on to verse 3. It says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now there's a lot of meat there, a lot of meaning. But here's a simple meaning about what Paul's saying. Paul says, don't think too much of yourself. Don't think too little of yourself. Try to get the same picture of yourself that I have of you. Or in other words, we could say when it, in regards to this mission, your mission is not about you. Your mission in life is not about you. Leave your dignity at the door because serving others is neither glorious nor glamorous because it's not about you. It's about God and it's about other people. Now you know what? There are a lot of people who never pursue the mission that God has in their life of serving other people because they think, well, I don't have my life together. Things are kind of messed up. And because they have some flaw in their life, they refuse to serve others, waiting until somehow that flaw gets fixed and then they think they will begin to serve. But I want you to listen to this list of people from the Bible. Listen to the kind of people that God chose to use along the way throughout history. For instance, Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Naomi was a widow. Jonah was reluctant. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Peter was hot-tempered and impulsive. Martha worried a lot. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health, and Timothy was timid. <laughs> it's quite a list of misfits, isn't it? And yet God used every single one of them. God had a mission for every one of them of serving others. And every one of them let God use them. You know what? A lot of us simply make excuses and maybe it's time we stop making excuses and realize it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God and it's about other people. I think Paul says it's not about you on another level in verse 4. 
He says, just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Paul says we are part of the same body. We belong to each other, and we need each other. I read this week something interesting about uh, my ability to stand up here and communicate. There is a part of my body that is really important to my ability to stand up here and talk to you. Do you know what it is? Now, you might guess, well, you know, it's your throat or your larynx or uh, your mind. And those things are important, by the way. But you know another part of my body that is equally important for me to stand up here? My big toe. Now, you would think that's insignificant, wouldn't you? But it is your big toe that allows you to have balance. If I begin to lean or to sway in one direction or the other, it's your big toe that the brain sends the message to to help balance out your body and keep you from just falling over. So I'm going to protect my feet a lot more than I used to. I've realized they're important. You'd think that doesn't matter, doesn't it? But having every part of the body function is vitally important. And Paul says we, the church, are a body. And if the body is going to function properly, then every part has to fulfill its function. The human body, when you think about it, is an amazing, balanced, delicate thing like the world has never seen in anything else. And God says, the church, we are like that body. And every part has a function to fulfill. You know, if we did left out certain ingredients in the pancakes, they wouldn't have tasted very good. Every ingredient was important to those pancakes coming together. Every part of the church is vital to us fulfilling our purpose. What a shame that sometimes some parts of the body refuse to perform their function and they leave the church handicapped, unable to do all that God desires for us to do. There's some other truths about our mission. Your mission will use your strengths. Listen to verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a, gift's man is, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him pro- use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is inc- contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Your mission will use your strengths. When God gave Moses his mission, do you remember Moses? He was in the Old Testament, and he's the guy that God said, Moses, would you lead my people, the nation of Israel, out of slavery or captivity in Egypt? You know what he said to Moses when he called him to do that mission? He asked him, Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses held up his staff. Do you know what the staff signified for Moses? It was his livelihood. It's what he was good at. It's what he did. It signified his possessions. The, the sheep that he herded, the flocks that he cared for, they were his, his wealth. And that staff represented his security in life. And God said, Moses, will you lay that down? You know what he was asking him? He was saying, Moses, will you let me have control of those parts of your life? When God calls us to our mission in life, he says to us, what's that in your hand? 
And in our case, he's talking about all those things he's given us, our, our gifts, our abilities, our experience, our mind, where we are in life. And he says, what's in your hand? Will you lay it down? Will you let me have control of those things so that you can fulfill your mission, so that you can serve other people? All of those things can be a benefit to others. There's another thing that's true about our mission. Our mission will use our weaknesses. You realize God never wastes a hurt. We've talked a lot about uh, this journey that our family has been on as Michael has battled cancer. And uh, we hit a big milestone this week. Just as a side note, Michael finished his very last chemo treatment on Friday. And so that's all behind us. And we move on now. That's pretty exciting to us. But thanks. We have uh, seen God's faithfulness through this whole thing. I, I only bring it up to tell you this. You know, if you'd have come to me a couple of years ago and said to me, Jeff, I have cancer, I, I would have cared that you had cancer and it would have moved a part of me. But to be honest, it wouldn't have moved me deeply. If you were to come to me tomorrow and say, Jeff, the doctors say I have cancer, I would be moved deeply. I mean, there would be something in deep in my being that would be touched by that. You know what the difference is? It's because I've been on the journey now. I've experienced it in somebody's life that is extremely close to me. And so if you were to share that burden, I would be touched deeply. You know what? I bet there, is, there are some things in your life that if somebody were to come to you and say, you know what, I'm experiencing this, you would be touched deeply. There'd be something deep in your being that would be moved. And you would want to reach out and help however you possibly can. God takes those experiences that we have in life, those weak moments it seems, and he ultimately uses them. Johnny the bagger, it would have seemed he had a lot of limitations in life, didn't it? But God used those limitations. The very fact that he had those limitations gave greater meaning and weight to the trouble he went to put a message in everybody's bag every day. And because you have hurt along the way somewhere, God at some point is going to use you to serve others. And that will be part of fulfilling your mission in life. There's another truth about all this. Your mission starts where you are. There's a professor at the University of Hawaii that has done some uh, study on household dangers. And I don't know why he took time to study this, but I guess maybe it was for people like me who actually sat and read all some of his information. He discovered that every year there are about 460,000 people who are injured by cutting themselves with a knife in the kitchen in American homes. There are some 100,000 people every year that injure themselves with some kind of power saw and have to seek treatments. Now that's some of the more obvious ones. There were some less obvious. He said that every year 20 people die. Do you know how? By choking in a drapery cord. I guess I sort of see how that happens, but here's the best one to me. There are 4,000 people a year that are injured and need to seek treatment by a pillow. I don't know. I've tried to picture exactly how that happens or what they do to themselves that they have to seek treatment, but 4,000 people a year injure themselves with a pillow. You know what I think the most dangerous thing in our homes can be? The easy chair. Now think about it. You know what, guys especially, I mean, what is better in life? 
than sitting down in the easy chair, propping your feet up, remote control in your hand, no one else's hand, remote control in your hand, some snacks beside you, a good ball game or movie on the TV. It's great, isn't it? Well, it could be better. That's not what's dangerous. What's dangerous is not what we do in an easy chair. What's dangerous is what doesn't happen in our lives as a result of that comfort. The relationships we don't invest in, the things that we don't accomplish. Think about this on a bigger scale. Some of us have gotten too comfortable. We're ignoring God's invitation to be part of what He is doing in the world. And rather than finding a place to serve others, we are hanging out in our figurative, lazy boy, easy chair, enjoying life comfortable instead of fulfilling the mission that God has for our lives. Maybe you look around here and think, well, Jeff, I don't see where my place to serve is. I don't speak. I don't sing. What is there for me? You know what? There is so much more than what just happens in this room. The work of the church is to heal the brokenhearted, to help people who are living far from God find their way back, to help people who are struggling with life, to strengthen and to encourage. And you know what? That doesn't just happen in this room on Sunday. That happens every day of the week, wherever we find ourselves. There are opportunities to serve people. And that's the mission that God is calling us to. God is up to something, and I've been invited to play a part. One more truth about this mission. Your mission means God believes in you. Ned Coletti is the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he spends a good portion of his time out scouting talent, looking for future professional baseball players. Uh, I was reading this week, he says that every year he makes a trip to the Dominican Republic and to scout talent down there. And if he finds some guys, I mean, he's going to call them eventually to the big leagues maybe, to the real show. And uh, so can you imagine he goes down there and he writes about uh, meeting this one 15-year-old who was incredibly talented physically. But he said he appeared so timid like he was afraid to fail. And so Ned pulled him aside and encouraged him that you, you can't be afraid of failure. Just play hard. And he talked about other major leaguers who have failed along the way but have also succeeded. Ned said this kid, as he was about to leave, just kind of took his head and thanked him with some tears falling from his eyes. And Ned said, I, as I left, I realized why. He said, can you imagine being a 15-year-old boy living in poverty, only knows one earthly parent, most of them have never met their fathers. They have no education, they have no money, they have no hope, they have no future. And can you imagine a guy like Ned Coletto coming along, telling them they're talented and inviting them to the major leagues? Do you think they'd have to think twice about making that decision? I doubt it. Jesus called some guys to be his followers in the Bible who I guarantee did not see themselves as major league players. They couldn't imagine a rabbi like Jesus coming to them and inviting them to follow. Rabbis didn't do that. They didn't go out and recruit, especially guys that were as old as they were. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. He invited them, despite where they were in life, to join him in his mission. He said, what I, what I do, you can do. What I say, you can learn. Where there are people, you can serve them. And you know what? Jesus is still inviting people like you and I 
who don't see ourselves as major leaguers in following the mission of God, he's inviting us to join him in what he's doing. How could we say no to that kind of invitation? On a really practical level, let me point out three places that I think you can begin to live this core belief out in. One is just every day in random acts of kindness. Every day, wherever you find yourself in life, there are opportunities, if our eyes are open, to serve people. Maybe it's as simple as buying breakfast for somebody or helping somebody with some chores around their house or helping somebody at work. But it's just having eyes that are wide open, saying, God, who could I serve today? How could I help join you in what you're doing in the world? A second environment that I hope that you would look in is finding a structured, ongoing environment where you could serve others. Maybe that's someplace like here at Crosspoint, finding a place where you plug in and begin to serve people here weekly, doing something. Maybe it's someplace in our community where you volunteer weekly or a couple times a month and you, you're just plugged in and you go there all the time with the intention that I'm, I'm joining God in what He's doing in the world by serving people. And the third environment is a big one-time yearly event. Something big every year. Maybe like joining some of us who are going to go to Bulgaria in the summer of 2008 and serve the people there and join God in what he's doing in the lives of people there I don't know what it is but finding something that you do kind of big every year that requires probably some sacrifice on your part but joins God in what he is doing in the world you know what here's what I want to challenge you to do beginning tomorrow morning would you get up every day would you just simply ask God God would you help me to see today what you're doing in the world and the part that you're inviting me to play? And I think if you will honestly pray that every day, God will begin to change your perspective on life and suddenly you will begin to see opportunities to join him in fulfilling his mission that you've never seen before. I know this is counterculture because our culture says, let life be all about me and what I'm comfortable at. But if we really want God to transform our lives into something that is spectacular, then we will begin to believe this core value, that God is up to something in the world, and I've been invited to play a part. Let's pray. God, thanks for the invitation to join you in what you are doing in the world. And God, would you help us today and every day to have eyes that are wide open to the fact that everybody matters and every day is an opportunity. God, would you help us to see where you're at work in serving people and allow us the privilege of joining you in what you're doing. And God, as that happens in our lives, would you just continue to transform us, to renovate us into something that is spectacular. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.